Hello, Internet. My name is Walter C.A.D.S. Fetchuk, and welcome back to another episode of the Final Cut Podcast presented by the Rough Drafts Podcast Network. I know last uh, last time we were here, we took a quick little sidetrack away from Oscar movies. Well, uh, 2022, uh, 2021 Oscar movies and talked about everything, everywhere, all at once. A movie that I think uh, Chase and I are both very hopeful will be a large part of, uh, of next year's Oscar ceremony. Um, but that caused us to take a little detour around the movie we were initially going to discuss, and that was uh, that was Kristen Stewart as Princess Diana in Spencer. And uh, uh, Chase and I have both seen this movie. We have both described this movie to each other as in, I have seen Spencer. And now <laughs> we're going to talk about that movie because I think we have some some... There's not a lot to talk about, I feel like. I don't think we have a lot of topics to cover, to cover, but the topics we do want to talk about, I feel like we have some pretty um, strong views on. And again, you know, we like to try and pick some things that are a little bit outside of our wheelhouse. And uh, I think this was a good foray into something. And we'll just kind of keep it from there and we'll figure out what that means. <laughs> and of course, by we... I mean, my good friend and podcast co-host, Chase, how are you doing on this lovely last Thursday in April watching your Atlanta Falcons draft an offensive weapon? Well, first of all, how dare you? I This is our escape from that. I don't need to be thinking about how once again the Falcons have decided to just draft a wide receiver because that's what we need. Not an offensive line, not a defensive, well, anything. Not even the best player on the board, which was the one thing that we were promised that we were going to do. Uh, but hey, I I love getting a player that's only compared to a division rival that I intrinsically have negative feelings about, as if that's going to make me feel better. Um, but you know, I am excited to talk about this uh, today. We had to take a break for, for everything, everywhere, all at once, because it's one of the best films I've ever seen in my life, even though I'm less optimistic than you are about them actually getting to the Oscars just because it came out too early in the year and we can't have nice things. Um, but Spencer was one that I, I've been excited to talk about and see for a bit because my roommate, who is much more of a uh, film head than I am um, and in, worked in the industry for a bit of time, um, loved Kristen Stewart's portrayal in this film um, that just thought this acting performance heading in was the best of the year and should have won uh, best actress. Now, funnily enough, he no longer believes that that uh, to him now is parallel mothers. Um, but the performance here, I think it's, it's the reason why we're here. It's the reason that Kristen Stewart got the nomination and there weren't many other nominations for this film outside of her performance uh, and maybe some things about uh, score or some costume design things here and there. But it's uh, it, it's going to be an interesting time to talk about it, because I, I think that this is a film that has some very clear highs and some very clear lows. I don't think there is a better way for you to say that. And just a quick pause. The draft happened. The Bills just traded up and I believe just took a cornerback, but I'm waiting for confirmation from my Twitter feed. Thank you, Daddy Elon. I greatly appreciate that you allow <laughs> the NFL to do this on Twitter. It's fantastic. But yes, I do believe that Spencer was a movie of uh, a lot of highs and a lot of lows. And I am actually 
I kind of agree with your roommate. I'm I let's just start with Kristen Stewart because right off the bat, I that's the only reason I was like interested in watching this movie was that the performance uh she was obviously nominated for best actress performance. Um I do think she is a good actor despite what sort of culture and society have sort of deemed as her playing Bella Swan in the Twilight series. And, you know, at the end of the day, I just don't think that series was very good, very well written. And that's not really her fault or Robert Pattinson's fault. Um, and my, my partner was very interested and really wanted to see this movie. And when I was listing out all the different Oscar movies, this was one when I kind of gave the, you know, two sentence synopsis that she's like, Ooh, I want to see that. So we watched it together. Uh, Chase Mm -hmm. right off the bat. What were the expectations? What did you think this movie was going to be? Well, going in, I knew that Kristen Stewart was a very talented actress. I, I, I am deep enough in the film world to know that since Twilight, she's gone on to do a whole bunch of different things. A bunch of like artsy things here and there as well. Um, She's definitely been someone who I, I felt like had a, a type of performance that she could give. She was really good at being kind of that disaffected um, person and, and, and someone who could um, could really capture uh, the coldness of certain situations in a way that was uh, really powerful and, and enjoyable to watch. Um, but this was a different kind of role for her, and I was immediately drawn to it. I... Uh, as I said, I, the thing I had heard was that her acting performance was incredible because my roommate was very much on that bandwagon heading in. And Princess Diana, obviously, is just such a captivating figure in history. Uh, I'm not going to pretend like I have some deep affection for the royal family or even a deep amount of knowledge about the royal family because it's not something that I grew up paying attention to. You know, the Princess Diana death didn't hit me uh, or my family the way that I know it was kind of a, a cultural touchstone for some other people around our age. But she was always uh, a beloved figure, a charismatic person, um, someone who uh, really captured the stage and, and, and the, the camera and every time that she was on um, to, to an extent that like it ended up going really famously quite poorly um and i i think that it's one of those stories and one of those people that we keep coming back to because we want to see someone who had the kind of light and joy that she did heading in someone who was really beloved by the common people and everyone that knew her personally and we just watched kind of deteriorate due to being surrounded by horrible people in a screwed up system that uh, has no place for people like her and just wore her down until uh, the paparazzi fervor was so high that it quite literally killed her. So I, it's, it's certainly a, a, a story. I, I'm always interested in, in seeing how that portrayal is handled and, and what they choose to focus on. And I, I think their choices were actually quite interesting, but I, I kind of want to give you a chance to share your thoughts before I get into some of the more uh, tangible, creative decisions of the film. 
I went into this knowing that uh, Kristen Stewart was going to play Princess Diana. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's about it. Um, I have pretty much... <laughs> Uh, I, I did not know what to expect. I will be very honest. I had no clue what this movie was going to be. I didn't read um, much of a synopsis. I didn't read much of the plot. I didn't read reviews. I did pretty much nothing. I went into this almost completely blind and just wanted to be like, I understand that this movie is about Kristen Stewart being Princess Diana and very much in the way that the eyes of Tammy Faye where it was written for, for Chastain to have an Oscar nominee, you know, an Oscar moment or Benedict Cumberbatch in the power of the dog. It, it is just going to be one of those movies where there's a singular focus and they are trying to squeeze as much out of that idea and allow the, the, the singular ingredient to shine as bright at, as, as possible. Uh, and that is what, you know, Oscar season at sometimes is all about is one ingredient and, and trying to build about as perfect a dish around it as possible so that all you taste is that ingredient. And I, Spencer accomplished that. Um, I have trouble deciding whether it accomplished it because of the collective whole of, of everything about the picture and that's you know all of the the side sort of dishes and flavors and all those things actually elevated the main dish or whether it was just the performance the main ingredient Kristen Stewart's performance was so good that it succeeded in spite of some of the decisions and some of the um less notable uh parts that they placed placed around her because um Honestly, I, I don't know why I keep falling back to this trope, but I do. I, I didn't recognize any of the actors in this. And even, you know, my partner had to point out at one point and be like, hey, do you recognize the major? I'm like, I have no idea who that is. And it's like, oh, the, it's the actor that plays Wormtail in, in Harry Potter. And I was like, oh, I can see that now. Which even goes further to, I, if you didn't tell me Kristen Stewart was Diana in this... I would have had no idea it was her. Incredible was job. How believable it was. I had no fucking clue that this was Kristen Stewart. I I was completely immersed in being like, I know this is an actress playing Princess Diana, but like, this is like, I, okay, this is Princess Diana. I totally believe in it. I am suspending all of my disbelief. There was not a hint of Kristen Stewart in that acting performance. Yeah, no, she gets absolutely lost in it. And, and you know, it was really fascinating to see how they, you know, what they chose to focus on, right? Because you could do so many different versions of a biopic of Diana, but instead they chose to focus on a three-day period, uh, good old Christmas, um, in which things are particularly starting to unravel in which the cracks of all of the public pressure that Diana has faced, as well as the coldness of a husband who is actively cheating on her, and a queen that does not give a shit about any of the things that she is struggling with, outside of how it negatively impacts her every now and then. Um, and we just get this kind of three-day vignette of this woman who was clearly 
struggling to balance the person she wants to be and the person who she feels like she has to be. Um, and that's a hard part to play, right? Somebody who really goes through the ringer as a, as, as a character, just an emotional roller coaster. You know, the, the high points of her with her kids and the energy that she's able to portray there. And, and you can see in certain moments the, the charisma and the, the brightness that she could exude publicly um, and then had to capture the, the somberness, the depression, the anxiety, the fears, the self-doubt. And, you know, at one point, like imagining her cutting into herself just to not have to go to this dinner, um, which is a brutal sequence and one of the better ones in the film. Um, you, you get all of it from her. And it requires a subtlety and nuance to make all of these transitions work, to have it feel so smooth, to have it feel so real. And she does feel smooth and she does feel real. It, it's, it is a, a very powerful portrayal of a very fascinating person. And she does. She just gets fully lost in it uh, and, and perfectly emulates so many of these mannerisms of a, a person who is such a public figure that this stuff is really well documented, you know? Um, it, 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 was, it was not long enough ago that you could get away without getting all of those finer points correct. And, uh, and, and she did. And, and I, I think, honestly, uh, as a result, I, I think it was a really clever choice of how to handle this story. Because the problem with, like, Tammy Faye, right? The Eyes of Tammy Faye, it's a biopic, but they have to cut so many, like, smaller scenes in order to tell the whole story. And so a lot gets dropped that you really think should be there, and a lot doesn't get explored the way that you would want it to. Here, it's three days with a woman who is trying really hard to be the person that everyone outside wants her to be, that everyone inside knows her to be, and that is dealing with the weight of the world in so many different ways. Um, just incredible. Really, really smart choices as to how to tell that story and a really incredible performance on how to bring that to life in a way that feels as powerful as it did. I think you, you brought it up earlier talking about Stuart and just the way she, she in the past and other roles has maintained that very cold kind of energy. And I think that that is, it's incredible to watch her portray sort of the mania, the, you know, the, the manicism that is going on throughout the movie between the two moments, because, you know, I look at this and I come out of it and I go, okay, do do I think Diana had some kind of manic depression or anything like that? I, I don't know. Like, I've not not really ever been interested in Princess Diana or the British royalty at large other than, like, some jokes or, you know, things like that. You know, they talk about, oh, it's the Queen's birthday. I, I don't give a shit. I'm, I'm in the colonies. Like, we rebelled from them for a reason, I, so I don't have to give a crap about this. Um, and, and there were just certain things that I just, like, questioned. I was like, is that real? Like, I... I didn't know how real the movie was trying to be or how dramatized it was trying to be. And I kind of appreciate that because it does 
lend to this air of like, well, you aren't in the palace, so you actually have no idea what's going on. You only have the whisperings and the rumors of what the, uh, you know, what the maids are saying or what the, you know, the paparazzo are, are, are able to get from, you know, the guy that brings out the garbage every other day or whatever. And it does help kind of build into that sort of mythos and myth-making kind of creation of like, if these were rumors of what was going on at the time, then it sort of makes sense that her rebellion is, you know, maybe it's beyond just being rebellious. Maybe there is something else going on. Or maybe it's not. And maybe it is just the court gossip trying to make her out to be the bad person, that she's non-conforming and she doesn't belong here and she's not trying to belong uh, and, and so on and so forth. And I think Stuart just does a phenomenal job of from second to second to second changing the emotions and changing how she's feeling and what she is portraying and is she happy is she sad is she angry is she uh, frustrated is she acquiescing is she rebellious all of these things and makes every moment that she is doing something matter the when she like rips the pearls off her neck and then, like, swallows one of them as she's eating the 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 soup, the gazpacho, whatever it is, is is just. I there's something about a scene like that that is just so captivating, because it is disturbing, it is sensual, it is defiant it is acquiescent it seems to be everything all at once <laughs> in a way that i just i didn't see with the eyes of tammy faye which i i didn't i think this is a better performance than cumberbatch in the power of the dog this might be out of the you know the movies we've talked about and the movies you know that we i've seen for the oscars so far this might be the best performance out of all of them and i i came out of this movie thinking wow it's a damn shame she didn't win because I thought she did a better job. I agree with you completely. Um, I, I do. I need to see Parallel Mothers because my roommate has told me that Penelope Cruz is incredible in that as well. But for for my money, I, I think it's the best performance of any film I saw in 2021. And And I'm glad that you brought up that scene, right? Because this film does like to play with that what is real and what is, you know, kind of her little moments of symbolic rebellion in her own head, right? Like ripping off the pearls and literally eating them in the pea soup. We know what that means. And in that moment, we're, we're trying to like parse out, like, is she genuinely having a breakdown in front of all of these people? Um, or is this like the thing that she is um, like fantasizing about sounds uh, a like maybe the wrong tone, but the the same idea, right? Just this idea in your head of of finally being able to break free from this thing that feels like it's choking you. The to have to wear a necklace that is the exact same necklace that your husband gave to the woman he's cheating on you with, and that you have to wear it proudly so that his family is okay with you, or else, like, woo, that's a tough one. And so you could totally see, like, yeah, I'd rip that shit off, too. I totally understand why she'd want to rebel against that or, or why she fantasizes about, you know, taking the clippers to her uh, 
um, her arms in order to to bleed and and be seen, like not be able to be seen by these people, or why she constantly feels a need to like try to break the rules to go back to where she grew up because it's an escape from this bullshit. Um, and that's really, I, I think the the core thing you keep coming back to with this film is that you have this character who is immediately sympathetic, uh, very likable, um, who is dealing with bullshit that we can all recognize for being as tough as it is for a, a situation that is so unhealthy in so many ways. We can see how she deals with her kids and, and the love that she has for them and, and how they see the pain that she's going to through and the struggles and how that hurts. And, and seeing that from a kid and understanding how they interpret that pain is, is brutal, you know, and, and certainly brutal for Diana as well. And, and this idea of just wanting to be doing anything else. Um, so much of, I think the Diana story could really be summarized with that idea of if she'd been able to get away, if she had been able to stop showing up as her kids say, you know, have a Christmas away from this bullshit, have, um, you know, a life outside of these things that she's forced to participate in and continuously dragged down by, she could have been happier, you know? She she would have been so happy just being a person in London ordering KFC for her kids uh, after a, a day at work doing whatever it is she wants to do, right? Um, she She could have been fine. It didn't have to go this way. So much of, of what makes her such a tragic figure and such a beloved figure is that understanding of who she was in the face of so much and how, how close she could have been to a much better version of the life that she ended up living. Um, and, and to see that play out here and across these three days really does cover the spectrum of it. Um, despite being as concise as it is, which is really smart. And, and I will give uh, the script writers a lot of credit on that point in specific. They do a really good job at, at in those three days, having the entire myth uh, of Diana, um, whether it's, to, you know, the scene towards the end where she's wearing all of the different iconic uh, Diana outfits and it's just set to music and it's this this imaginary you know running of of her hey spoiler alert at some point she tries to kill herself in the movie sorry but she has this like life flash before her eyes kind of moment and in that they do all of the the iconic Diana looks and whether I don't know if at this point she's already like worn all of these things. And I, again, I'm not a Diana historian. I'm not a British historian. I don't know, but just the fact that they did that, I was like, Oh, that's really, really clever. And it's really artistic. And it really does show off that, you know, Diana was at this time, not just, you know, not just royalty, not just, uh, you know, Charles's wife or the, the mother of the princes or a philant you know, a, a volunteer or philanthropist or all these things. She was also like a fashion icon uh, at that time. And it is, they do have the entire breadth of Diana into this movie, even though they do break it down into 
only three days and it does seem to tell the entire story of someone who listen like she likes the finer things it's not that she's against being rich it's just she's against being rich with all of these strings attached with all of these expectations and all of these things and i don't think she would have been happy if she was like a regular like middle class mom you know stay at home middle class mom but if she was a wealthy you know wealthy londoner that still had a fabulous penthouse and could still buy coach and gucci and armani and you know all of these things and then you know getting kfc was it it was a treat it was a little well you know we can be a little we can be a little naughty and get some kfc or something and you know just slum it for a little bit then yes i would agree she would have been happy but at the end of the day this is you know kind of the life she chose and she had to figure out her own way of of breaking free from that um and i can't blame her I mean, as I said, royalty sucks. And if anything, this entire movie just proved it. I... Jack, Jack Farthing, I'm sorry, dude. You played such a like such a douchebag. You you were you were perfectly Charles. That's like the one thing I know about British royalty is that Charles is a is awful. Is a terrible human being. Just and the worst. Exactly. It's just like this awful, awful, awful human being. And he had, like, what, 10 lines in the entire film? He was on screen for maybe, you know, 10, 10 minutes at the most? And I was like, oh, yeah, I fucking hate your guts. Yeah, it, it is really, you know, you need to capture that coldness from the people around her, right? Um, because that's, so much of it is is how she is ostracized from from that. And, and you know, you could argue over, you know, where her place could have been and, and what would have been, you know, the, the right, uh, you know, what, what, what better paths were, were maybe available to her. But the one thing that's clear, it's not fucking that guy. That guy is an emotionally abusive, um, just so cold, so heartless in how he deals with her and, and even how he deals with the kids to a certain extent, you know, ignoring their wishes on certain things, trying to force the son to, you know, shoot the gun and, and uh, you know, get involved in that, not quite hunting, but uh, kind of formal shooting event um, that uh, that he tries to force him into before a frantic Diana puts herself literally in the path of bullets in a way awesome that is... Awesome scene. Awesome scene. Great scene. Little melodramatic. Little bit... Little bit ridiculous. But but well done. And, like, because Kristen Stewart has sold so much to that point, like, she earns it. Like, you can pull that off because she's done all the other bits of the work. The The problem that I have, though, and this is one that I, I think is a structural problem that the film never finds a way to quite work around, is that when everyone is cold, when everyone is harsh, when everyone is solidifying this sense that she does not belong and that she cannot fit in and that she cannot escape. It doesn't give her a lot to play off of, you know? Kristen Stewart's having to do a lot of work on her own. She is doing a lot of heavy lifting to carry the emotions of the scene because she's not getting a lot from, say, Queen Elizabeth in this one. You know, Stella Renee, I, I don't know other things that she's been in. I, I think the idea of, of the queen being a, a, you know, that kind of 
you know, un- incapable of, of relating to her in that moment and be the kind of support system that Diana could have really used is accurate to the the person as I know her from the, the you know, seasons of The Crown that I have seen. Um, but it doesn't make it easier for Kristen Stewart's portrayal, you know? It doesn't give us as an audience anything to sink our teeth into outside of Diana. This is really the Diana show, and everyone else is just giving her things to react to rather than things that we can grasp onto in their own right. And it it really, it, it makes it hard to maintain momentum any moment that she is not the focal point and and just kind of stealing the you know the scene and and everything that she's in you know um there's i i wish that they had maybe constructed things a little bit differently so that we got a little bit more maybe it's just even more scenes with the kids because the kids stuff is i think the best scenes in, in the film the the scene in which they're playing uh, generals and they're having to like talk to each other about these real questions about life and how they're feeling and what they want and and that like incredible scene really like y- you you can feel for her and you can feel for the kids and you can get this sense of like the kind of mom that she was and in this emotional vulnerability that she's willing to show like the kids bring that out of her because they give her something you know there's real love there which means that when she's struggling, there's real hurt there too. And that's a really important dynamic to have. And I just wish there were more moments like that in this film that would have really helped it feel less constantly um, cold. And, and you know, that's, I, I think, again, that, that's it's, the a, point, it's a problem it? with the story. It's, yeah, but, like, it doesn't make it a more fun viewing experience. Like, it, it's, there's a way to do it. I think there's a way you can do it where you, uh, where it's not quite as, it's a hard, it's a hard challenge. I get, I get the challenge of this, but I, I just, I, so many times I'm just watching, um, her in these scenes and I'm watching Kristen Stewart give everything and I'm just like, come on, give her something, give her any supporting cast that could really stand out and, and give something to bounce off of and sink her teeth into. And it it just feels like it it feels like a solo queue game in which Kristen Stewart is just hard carrying um, with an occasional help from her support. That being the kids. Well, and, and and I will say I do agree that the kids, when the kids are involved, that is where you you do you get that emotional burst, you get that little that little flame that's happening in this very dreary British uh, holiday royalty home, and that's that little flame. It's so cold, and she even says it's so cold in here. Can we turn up the heat? We're like, why can't we turn up the heat? Oh, you need to wear a coat, like. That's that's the entire point. This isn't supposed to be a fun viewing experience. No. This is supposed to be and the music like from the music from the the saturation that they use to film everything. This is supposed to be kind of dreary, kind of muted. And it is supposed to be stoic and there isn't anything for her to play off because Charles, the queen, the royal family, uh, the major, 
except for just a couple of tiny little moments the, the some of the hand you know some of the maids that are around there isn't there isn't anything for them to give because those people in reality weren't giving anything to Diana is what they are saying they are saying that there was not those interactions except when nobody else was around, you do get that one little scene with the queen where they're outside and the queen is taking the dogs out. And the only time you hear the queen speak and talk to Diana, they have a little exchange. You have uh, the moment between Major Gregory where he brings up, don't, you know, don't forget about the soldiers that are out there dying for the crown. And it is, that is an emotional moment where he does, he gives that little bit of like, well, I'm a soldier. That's my job. It's what we signed up for. And Diana goes, well, I didn't, I don't want anyone to die for me. Like I didn't ask for you to die for me. That's, that gives them a little something. There's the scene with the chef uh, where she's downstairs and he's like, like, don't talk. The walls have ears. But at the end of the day, when she's asking, did Maggie betray me or not? And he's just like, listen, like all of the staff love you. Like, they want you to succeed. And there's sort of an implication, not in a, like, they want you to succeed by bowing your head, being put on a leash, and becoming one of the royals. It is almost implied through that conversation that, no, they want you to be you and to succeed. Uh, So I will agree, overall, is there much for Stuart to work with? Absolutely not. But it does make those tiny little morsels where you do get the moment where she can do some kind of emotional uh, response, whether it's an outburst, whether it's just, you know, taking that little thread and pulling it to the, the you know, more emotional Diane, uh, Diana extreme compared to the, the other uh, character. They are there, but they are few and far between outside of the scenes with the kids. I would absolutely agree with you there. Yeah, and you know, like I said, like, certainly, it, it's a drama, right? Like, it's not meant to be a, a happy or fun or warming. Like, I, I wouldn't want anything like that. I just, you know, when you think about, like, the villains in, in dramas, you know, there can be a cunningness to them or a cruelty or a uh, a callousness. Uh, like, there are, there are ways of being antagonistic and being incapable of connecting. Uh, with a character like Diana without it being kind of this um, distance, this, this um, it's the fact that it's all kind of the same note. I think that's more of of the thing for me, but I I will say that like the, (laughs) I I can criticize it for that. Um, I do think the moments that you mentioned are really good for all the reasons that you just said, because it does provide a difference. The other thing that they try to do to provide a difference is the Anne Boleyn stuff. And woo, they took some swings. Right. Ooh, and, and they, and you they said tried it's a hard. Drama. You said it's a drama. Are you sure it's not a comedy? Because those that Anne Boleyn stuff was hilarious. <laughs> that was, that a, was laugh out loud hilarious. <laughs> there's a little bit of camp there, to be sure. I, man, I appreciate... Um, that this film went for the metaphor with Anne Boleyn with the subtlety of a brick, just, just full on. Like it, it, it is, it bashes you over the head with it repeatedly and in a way that's just, um, you know, it, to, to the point of parody, as you said, you can't take it seriously. Um, I, I and like I get what they're trying to say, right? Like that is 
a person who could have lived a normal quote-unquote life and just kind of gets ditched by a king who wants to sleep with somebody else because he thinks that that's how getting a son works. And it's just, um, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot to throw at there. It's a big swing. And again, like some of the big swings work. Like the, the, the pea soup thing could have easily been over the top and ridiculous, but it works. The Anne Boleyn stuff, I think it's hard to, to argue that it works at any point in the film, unfortunately. I, the Anne Boleyn stuff is the embodiment of the meme. I know writers who use subtext and they're cowards. <laughs> like, I I get some of the others. Like, I can understand. You're like, oh, this is just like all really nuanced, and there's a lot of there's a lot of intricacy in all of this. You know what? We do need to give some some people a big old bone to just chew on and to just gnaw on through the entire film, so they understand what we're going for here. Um, because Anne Boleyn, like, traditionally kind of did what we, she, she was supposed to do. She just, you know, hey, you can't decide whether you have a boy or a girl at that age. Like, you, you don't have the ability to determine that. And uh, unfortunately, that's just what happened. And, and, you know, Henry was a dick. You know, he was a terrible human being as well. He was up there with Charles. Um, but, yeah, there is a point. This very easily could have turned into... Chase, have you ever seen Shit's Creek? I am familiar with it and have seen clips so so you know the the mother moira how she's this like overly flamboyant and i was an actress and there is a realm where if the writing wasn't as tight as it was this could have you know floated into that like over the top kind of over dramatic very campy mockery of diana and all of this stuff that's going on but you're right because of the the writing because of the, how they shot it the director and the performance by stewart they were able to keep it all very very tight and, and toe the line to sort of the extremity of what they needed to portray the message they were trying to get across um outside the ambulance stuff like we said with the with the swallowing the um swallowing the pearl even in that soldier scene you're talking about with the kids it's it's a little goofy it's a little over the top um but it, it all works it all works because it's it's very nuanced and they and and not only does Stuart but the two child um actors uh, jack nealon and, and freddie spry they all commit to the bit they all commit to it they all understand what they're supposed to do there and they do the funny sir yes sir you know breathy in the in the trenches style that they're trying to do and it and it just works and the ambulance stuff is just ridiculous. And I get that it's a plot point. It's a larger plot point that they're trying to be like, you know, Major Gregory is being portrayed as sort of the antagonist, but he's, in reality, he's like trying to help Diana. And it's like, okay, but what message are you trying to like get across to her? Is it is it if she doesn't get in line, you're going to kill her? Or is it actually the opposite? That like, no, go out and be yourself because like Anne Boleyn acquiesced to everything that the royalty wanted and she still died. Like, even at the end of the movie, I'm still not quite sure what his motivations were. Like, again, it was it was kind of just like this throwaway character that just had to be there because none of the royalty was going to talk. I, I don't know. Like, I agree with you. Some of the structuring stuff is just a mess. Yeah, and it's a shame because, again, the performances, like, Di Diana's performance, like, 
Kristen Stewart's performance as Diana. Really, I, the fact that I'm saying Diana's performance says so much about how much she gets lost in it. I, It's so good. It's so fucking good. And you can get away with a lot when you have a core that is that damn strong. And the moments that work in this film really do work. Like, there's there's a lot to love in this film. And I understand why people really enjoyed it and i absolutely believe that uh of the of all the performances i've seen last year i i mean this this was uh my favorite of, of any individual actor or actress it's just it's, it's hard to look at this film and not think about what it could have been how it could have made with just a few smaller changes how it could have brought even more out of the performance and given more on these kind of supportive elements to lift the whole tide up. And it's a shame that we didn't get it, but it doesn't mean that what we got is any less valuable. Um, because I, I do think that there is a lot in this film that people are going to want to come back to. I know my roommate has this on his list as, uh, one of his his uh, Christmas films he's going to have in the rotation. He loves sad Christmas films. And this is a sad Christmas film if ever I've seen one. Um, it, it fits very well into his uh, unhappy rich people film. Uh, is this well. a Christmas movie? It is, is absolutely really a Christmas movie. Absolutely. And the meaning of Christmas is that you're stuck with your family and can't get away and have to dress up for things that you don't want to be a part of, and everyone is having the worst time for it. I have been to that Christmas, good sir. I think it is 100% a Christmas film. Okay, I will, I will concede that to you. But, but actually, it, it's, it's nice that we have that little, little quick little tangent there, because it does, it does bring up a question. As, as you know, we sort of get towards the end here and sort of start wrapping things up. Because like I said at the beginning, I don't think we had a lot of topics that we really had to get to. Uh, because this is just such a singular focus on Stuart and, and her performance as, as Princess Diana. Chase, did this movie have to be about Princess Diana for it to work? Or yes. would it have worked if it was a nameless character? Well, you have to be Diana because if Diana, if it's not Diana, it's just a rich person with a family that kind of sucks. But the public pressure angle is one that regularly comes back around, right? She's always being watched. She's always being followed. She's never allowed to have a moment in which she's off because if she does, then she's going to be captured on film. She's not allowed to have curtains that she can keep open because the paparazzi could take a photo at any time and her just living her life is an affront that could make the royal family mad at her if the picture is captured the wrong way. You can't do that with just another rich person. You lose that entire angle of the public pressure and scrutiny that forces so much of this uh, to be as harsh as it is and as all-encompassing as it is. Um, I would have a really hard time imagining any other figure that could fill that role that isn't in a very similar dynamic. Like maybe a different version of this with like a Hollywood starlet at the age in which the paparazzi was worse, but then you miss 
the royal family angle and the idea of these kind of ingrained cold institutions that have these ways in which things have always been done that you're forced to acquiesce to like that fucking weighing yourself at the beginning of christmas oh bullshit <laughs> like horrible and if you don't have it be the royal family you miss that moment and that moment sets the tone for what the entire weekend's going to be um i yeah i can't imagine this film with anyone other than diane I think when you put it that way, it, it's reasonable. I think it's very reasonable that if you put, you know, you put, you pull the the way the weighing moment together, um, it it makes a lot of sense that you do need to have it be Diana, if not someone that is that is royalty or is that high level of celebrity. Um, the I'm I'm so glad you brought up the curtain scene because that was again un, like unintentionally funny moment where i chuckled i was like Haha. of course he sewed had the curtains like stapled or sewn shut like of course that had to happen because princess Char uh, prince charles is a twat like he has to be this just like controlling twat and the entire time i'm just thinking like bro you didn't have to go sleep with someone else like, that was your decision, and now you're punishing her for being upset about your decision? Like, that's fucked, man. That's terrible. Oh, he's such, he's so contemptible. And it helps that Diana was, was genuinely sympathetic. I think that is something that I was sort of afraid of once, you know, we started seeing, like, the beginning of the movie. At the beginning, there was a little bit of this, like, oh, woe is me. I'm, like, wealthy and pretty, and I don't want to do things that I don't want to have to do. That was a little, like, okay, like, okay, princess, I, I get it. But as it went on and as you got towards the end of the movie, uh, you brought it up earlier, the, the scene where she walks out into the middle of the hunt, uh, into the middle of this proper royal British hunt in her her dad's jacket, which... I mean, I doubt that was actually her dad's jacket. It was probably something that she also was imagining as part of this, like, psychosis she's been having over the few days and is just looking for any shred of her former life. Um, But just, just going out there and just being like, I don't care if you shoot me. And I was like, are they actually going to shoot her? Like, is this going to be one of those, like, alternate history things where they just shoot her and the end is going to just be her lying, like, dead in the field staring up and one of these pheasants fly by and then it doesn't it's that she rescues the kids they they you know drive home singing um oh what was the song singing all i need is a miracle and then they stop and get ksc chicken and then they do the very traditional like end of a movie where the hero is just kind of like looking off into the distance across some water like it's a good ending and your argument convinces me that yes this this does need to be about Princess Diana. Um, Chase, kind of at the end of the day, what were your final thoughts? What do you rate it? You know, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? <laughs> I mean, Die Hard is absolutely a Christmas film. Correct um, answer. I, I think, in fact, uh, all films are Christmas films. Just some of them uh, hide it a lot better than others. Um, that's, that's my theory. Um, go ahead and put that anywhere. I <laughs> I give this film a 7 out of 10. I, I think that what works about it really, really works. And if you want to just see an actress lose herself in the role and be compelling from moment to moment, I, I think that it would be hard to find a, a performance 
that was stronger than what Kristen Stewart brings. I think for people who enjoy biopics, uh, there's a lot to like here. If you don't like biopics, or you're not particularly interested in the royal family, or you're looking for something that has more depth to it than that, I don't know that this one is going to give it to you. I, I don't know that there's enough there to overcome kind of the genre limitations and structural limitations that this story has. But I'm very glad I saw it. Like, despite all the criticisms that I have of this film, and I have a lot of criticisms of the film, I cannot stress enough how good the moments that are really good truly are. Um, and it's hard to imagine, uh, you know, I haven't seen the crown season four, so I don't know how that portrayal of Diana goes, but there is a high bar for me in terms of anyone playing Diana, either in that show or in any future show or, or film. This is really a defining role, I would say. And I hope that it gives Kristen Stewart a lot more love because, uh, some people who have been sleeping on her really need to wake up. I I concur with you. Um, I I like you said there are definitely some problems with this. Um, but at times it is just completely outshone by by Kristen Stewart. Where I can you know I can forgive the fact that maybe the onions were a little underdone or there was a little too much paprika. Um, because at the end of the day, that that main entree, the the pheasant that's in the middle of my my plate, is perfectly cooked. It's very moist. It's very well seasoned. It's just it's just a fabulous, fabulous acting performance from Kristen Stewart. And if you have been sleeping on her, shame on you. Go find something else of hers to watch that isn't Twilight, because I don't want to spoil the the sort of majesty that is this performance. Um, I, I I get the like, hey, if biopics aren't your thing. Like, you're probably not going to enjoy this. But if you do, if you do want to just try it, if you just want to try a biopic, if you just want to try something that's different, you can choose a lot worse things to watch. You can choose a lot of different art films uh, that are, are much, much worse than this and, and much less enjoyable. Um, at the end for me, I'm going to give it a 6.75 out of 10. Um, half a point for Kristen Stewart's performance and then another quarter point because there were corgis. There were two scenes and there were so many corgis and, and my wonderful little heart was so happy to see their little furry butts. So thank you for adding that little bit of royalty into the movie by giving us corgis. Yes. <laughs> that made me very happy. This is uh, a very cor pro corgi podcast to be sure. Incredibly poor pro corgi. Um, <laughs> but that being said, Chase, that is a podcast. That was Spencer, a film we both watched. And if people wanted to talk with you more about a film they just watched, where can they find you? Well, you can find me at Chase Wassenaar on Twitter. You can also find the pod at Rough Drafts Pod, which is where we put all of our shows, uh, including uh, Steam Cleaners, our gaming podcast that is coming out uh, every Monday that this isn't coming out. Uh, so there's always something for you guys. Hopefully you're enjoying both shows. And I loved hearing your thoughts on things. It's been a... A uh, really fun journey through a lot of films that um, Walter and I may not have otherwise watched, and hopefully you're enjoying it as well. But uh, we'd love to hear what it is that you're most interested in hearing about, because uh, there are a lot of films out there uh, that are worthy of, of that kind of time and attention. So uh, hit us up. 
Yeah, in the past, like, four months, I've watched an animated Disney film and a biopic about Princess Diana. Uh, only on the Final Cut podcast will you ever get Walter Fedchuk watching an animated film and a biopic about Princess Diana in a four-month period. It's kind of weird. It's kind of crazy. I'm glad that we've sort of pushed away from the, like, just doing superhero or just doing Marvel or just doing, you know, traditional, like, nerd culture movies and are now a bit more sophisticated with our cups of tea and our canes and our... our... Uh, corgis. If you have other British <laughs> references, you can find me at Twitter, uh, on Twitter, at Sadie's underscore LOL. Tell me what other British references I could have added to that instead of having a very awkward pause... Um, but that has been it. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Final Cut. Uh, we'll see you next week for another episode of Steam Cleaners. And we will see you in two weeks for another episode of Final Cut. I think we're going to be sticking with the Oscar theme. But Chase did see another movie over the last week or so that he also described to me as I have seen blank. We'll see what we talk about then. Until next time, goodbye, Internet.